Well, you know, when, when you think about the Bible, there is not a book of the Bible that is written specifically to grandparents, is there? We, we can't say this is the book that grandparents read and we're good. There's not even a chapter in the Bible that is specifically written and, and targeted to, to grandparents in the same way that there is like a chapter on elders or, or we can go to a key text on wives and, uh, and husbands and, and really see what the scriptures say. You know, the, the temptation might be then to think that, well, the Bible doesn't really have that much to say to grandparents, but that's, that's not true. You know, so much of the scripture applies to grandparents. Obviously, we can't cover the whole Bible in a four-week class, so we're going to focus primarily on the examples in scripture of grandparents, and there are, are plenty. We see positive examples in scripture, things like uh, Lois, Timothy's grandmother, who it says in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy 3, that Timothy was to continue in the things he had learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learn them. And first to, or 2 Timothy 1.5 tells us that that was his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And so we see a, a godly example of a grandma who was investing in a grandson and in instructing in the word. We see negative examples of grandparents in the Bible. You know, you think of, of the, the wicked kings in, in Judah and Israel and, and the lasting legacy they left on, on their descendants, on subsequent rulers and other examples. There's also instruction about the responsibility of one generation to impact the next. And, and a lot of that speaks in, in the context of the family relationship of parents and children, of grandparents and grandkids and great-grandkids. You know, and when we think of grandparenting, you, your mind probably goes first to your relationship with your grandkids, and certainly that's one that we want to give careful consideration to. But before we can rush to say, what's the relationship with my grandchild supposed to be? We need to back up and, and think about a couple other relationships that are as or more important. One of those is the relationship with your kids. I've had some conversations this morning where I was reminded that you know, the relationship with a grandchild flows through the relationship with a child. And the, that relationship or the lack thereof has a huge impact on a relationship with grandkids. But the primary relationship and the one that we want to think about today is our relationship with the Lord. You know, the, the grandparent and God and how we think about him, how we understand what he says to us and, uh, and our relationship to him. And so we're going to focus on that this week. Next week, uh, Brian will focus on the relationship of grandparents with their kids. And then the last two weeks, we'll think together about uh, the relationship with grandkids. And kind of the flow of the class is going to get increasingly practical and uh, increasingly more focused on some of the specifics of those interactions and trying to give some resources and help. Uh, and we'll end the class with some Q&A time about specific things in the, the last week. But we want to start with what God says are our responsibilities, are your responsibilities as grandparents. You know, if you were to ask a random adult in, uh, in our culture today, what are some of the primary responsibilities or goals that grandparents should have? What are some things you would hear? And our class is small enough you get to participate, and so don't be shy. Get to spoil them. Yes, 
the responsibility to spoil them, maybe to give them all the things their parents don't. What else? Okay, just to love them. And, and what kinds of things would be meant by that? How would a grandparent express love to a grandchild? Okay, be available to them. Okay, yeah, engage with them, live life with them, uh, whether that's on the floor when they're little playing with them or other things as they get older. What else? Hug them. Yeah, hug them. Okay, yeah, spend time with them. You know, oftentimes grandparents are at a season of life where they may have more time that's flexible. Okay. Yeah, to be intently interested in them individually. Now, if you were to ask um, most parents what they think the primary responsibilities of grandparents would be, what kinds of answers do you think you would get? Oh, babysitting. You are good for date night or trip off to somewhere or that's the primary one. Any, anything else they might mention? I mean. Babysitting. I won't give you my list as a parent. We just uh, uh, I, I forgot to mention earlier. We we have uh, have five daughters, Christy and I, um, and so we are are looking forward to one day having uh, grandchildren. We um, we have uh, both of our sets of parents are still living. One Christy's parents lives locally, and so we have grandparents who are here close. And then uh, my parents live in Missouri, so we have grandparents who are at a distance as well. Um, so we'll, uh, I, I won't give you all of our list of expectations for both of my parents and her parents, but um, other things that parents might think, this is what, if a grandparent does, it's, it's, it's beautiful and it's, it's ideal. Babysitting. Okay, financial help, maybe another one. Yeah, to help pay for, uh, for certain activities, education, maybe just the one who takes them out to eat more often, uh, any of those kinds of things. Okay. Going to activities, being there, praying for them. Okay, yeah, passing down the generational stories, things that you know about the family. How about if you ask most grandkids, what would they say are the primary expectations of grandparents? Ice cream. Ice cream. <laughs> Surprises, Christmas presents, reading to them, other things? Tickle time, did you say? Okay. Yeah, there's, there's all kinds of different expectations and, and standards and job descriptions for grandparents. You know, there's the uh, expectations that you find generally culturally about what that relationship is to be. There are expectations that parents generally have and that the specific parents of your grandkids probably have. There are expectations that grandkids generally have and specific ones that, that your grandkids probably have. You know, many of those expectations fit into the framework that the Bible presents. Some don't. But what matters most is what God says you are responsible for. And so I want us to start today thinking about your responsibility before God as a grandparent. Your responsibility before God as a grandparent. Because you have to think first about the reality that you are responsible to God for your interaction with your grandkids. 
you chiefly answer to him. You know, in, in any role that we serve, we need to primarily focus not on our responsibilities simply to the other people in that relationship, but on the Lord. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, there's a section that details a number of different family and other social relationships. It doesn't specifically address, and, and we're going to flip around to some key texts this morning, and we'll come back to a number of them in subsequent weeks and look at some different details. But in Colossians 3, there's, there's a text that walks through different relationships. It doesn't specifically address grandparents and grandkids, but I think there's some, some principles that are helpful. He begins in verse 18 and says, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, and whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men." If you look at those verses, you see that on three of those, the, the wife, the children, and the slave-master relationship, he explicitly says that you are to do what you do in that role. Why? Well, because of your perspective and your relationship with and your focus on the Lord. He says, wives, do this as is fitting in the Lord. This is right before God, and you are motivated by the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Why? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. It's not chiefly about your parents. It's about the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters. Why? Not primarily about your masters, but as one fearing the Lord. Do your work heartily as for the Lord. And so in any relationship... We can be tempted to focus just on the other people involved, but the primary mindset has to be, how am I fulfilling this relationship before the Lord? And so you are not primarily responsible to your grandkids. <laughs> they, they may want you to feel that way. <laughs> they may try to get you to feel the weight of whatever it is that they want you have to do or else I won't be happy. Uh, but that's not true. You know, there could be all kinds of expectations your grandkids have for you. Toys, ice cream, candy at the movies, TV shows, DVR at your house, soda, Chick-fil-A, whatever it is. The chief question, though, is not do your kids think you're, or your grandkids think you are a good grandparent. It's easy to feel that pressure. We all do. We, we all want to be loved by our grandkids. Grandparents want them to love them, or at least love them more than the other grandparents, although we don't always say that out loud, probably. Um, but that's not the primary focus, is it? And again, you, you know this. <laughs> but the pressure is there, and we can subtly do what we do to please our grandkids rather than before the Lord. And again, those things aren't always in conflict, you're also not primarily responsible to your kids. Again, there can be all kinds of expectations your kids can have for you. Babysitting, frequent visits or infrequent visits, depending on the, the relationship. On and on. But the chief question is not, do your kids think you are a good grandparent? 
Again, it's easy to feel that pressure to want them to be pleased with us. And there's a sense in which partnering with them well is, is a great goal. You know, or at least we want to be, them to be more pleased with us than the, the other set of grandparents. And we want to do what cultivates that. But we are primarily responsible to God. You answer to him for your interaction with your grandkids. Now, what does God hold us responsible for? What does God say you are responsible for? Now, we will unpack this in the coming weeks in a way that uh, gives more detail to this. But I want us to look at some texts that speak to how we are to think about and interact with the next generation. And, and I, I want us to summarize these texts in, in this way in our minds, that you are responsible to God for what you declare to your grandkids. And we're going to see that's a biblical word and a biblical idea that's fleshed out, particularly in the Psalms, that you are responsible to God for what you declare to your grandkids. And that is chiefly related to what you declare to them about God. Now, what you declare to them about other things also tells something about God. So, really, it all comes back to what are we communicating? What are we declaring about God? Turn to Psalm 71. We're going to work through a couple of Psalms, and again, we will come back and see some more specific details in the coming weeks from some of these. Psalm 71, if you have a, uh, a New American Standard, it is titled, uh, and um, maybe in other Bibles as well, it's entitled, Prayer of an Old Man for Deliverance. <laughs> um, this is a, a psalm that is written by an unknown author. All we know is that he is uh, aging. Verse 9 says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. Um, he, is, he is facing some difficulties, some coming from outside enemies, some from that stage of life generally. And he is recounting God's faithfulness to him and his response to, uh, to the faithfulness of the Lord. He says things like in verse uh, 7, I have become a marvel to many. Why? Because I'm this super grandpa. No, because you are my strong refuge. So the way he is enduring in life is, is a marvel to others because of his deeply rooted trust in the Lord. But if you look down at verse Pick up in verse 14. He, he says this, But as for me, I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. What a, what a motto, what a statement for life. I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. I've done it for a long time, but I, I want to continue in that. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and of your salvation all day long, for I do not know the sum of them. I, I will speak of them. I will learn of them. I will come with the mighty deeds of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, yours alone. In verse 17, key verse, O Lord, 17, 18, O Lord, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, O God, do not forsake me. 
until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come, for your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens, you who have done great things, O God, who is like you. He, He says, God, God, let me finish well, and my goal when I will know that I have finished well here is that I have declared these things of you to this coming generation. That's what I am longing to do. Don't don't forsake me. Give me the opportunity to declare who you are and all that you have done to this generation. He says, that's my, my heart and my hope. When I think about those, the, that season of life as I am, am aging, as I am looking back on my life and looking towards uh, the, uh, the latter stages of my life, that is what I long to do. That's a, that's a, a godly heart that is fleshed out in, uh, in other texts as well. Flip over to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is a a long psalm that recounts the history, early history of God's dealings with Israel, and it recounts his faithfulness in spite of their unfaithfulness, how God cared for them in spite of them turning from him. And and it's a, a psalm that was intended to teach the history of what God had done with them to the coming generations. He says in verse 1, Psalm 78, 1, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. He says, I'm about to tell you a a story, a comparison of, of God and Israel. And he says, what are we to do with this? We will not conceal them from their children. Our fathers told us, and when the Bible uses the word fathers, it's not, uh, in the Old Testament especially, it's, it's a word that typically is broader than just dad. It's, it's those from whom we are descended. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. So here's a, a parable that is intended to be used so that we are laying out to the next generation who God is, the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established, verse 5, a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children. It's, it's a confusing text of like, who, who all is telling who and who? It's, just, it's this picture of, of, you know, one generation being concerned for the subsequent one, but in that concern, even for those yet to be born. For me, that's my grandkids. For many of you, that's grand, great-grandkids or even great-great-grandkids. This desire to see them come to know the truth of who God is. You see, God has a multi-generational plan. And while parents are primarily responsible for spiritually instructing their children, we all have a responsibility for declaring the truth about God to the generation to come. Turn over to Psalm 145. Similar idea. He begins this last psalm of David and the Psalter says, I 
will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Isn't that that great? He uses that word, shall praise these things. It's not even just talking about them. It's praising them to the next generation. And he continues in verse 6, men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. One generation praising God, declaring his greatness and his goodness to the next generation. Deuteronomy 6 is a, a familiar text that uh, re- recounts the, uh, the key command God gave to Israel, the key statement about himself that I, uh, hear Israel, the Lord is our God, verse 4, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And he says, these words, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. And he tells why back in verse 2 of, of Deuteronomy 6, you're to, to Cling to these things so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanded, have commanded you all the days of your life. He says, what is it that each generation is responsible for as it relates to the next? What are grandparents responsible for in relation to what God expects of them to declare the truth about God. Now, if we went back through those Psalms and we looked at what specifically we are told to declare, he uses phrases like these, your wondrous deeds, your strength and your power, the the praises of the Lord, his wondrous works that he has done, your works, your mighty acts, the power of your awesome acts, your greatness, the memory of your abundant goodness, your salvation, and your righteousness. That's what we are to be declaring about God to the next generation. Now, how do we declare these things about God? Certainly, that starts with our words, through your words. We are to declare truth about God through your words. He again, you, the psalmist and, and these other texts use a variety of words for what we're to do. Declare, tell, teach, praise, speak, utter, talk. You know, this is, this is not, um, not uh, a mystery what he's talking about. Now, this can be a challenge to do this well with a generation that is significantly removed from you. You know, it's been a long time maybe since you interacted with young children. And so just remembering how to communicate at that level, plus the fact that there is a generational difference in how we think and communicate, you know, getting somebody away from a little screen to actually talk can be a challenge in those things. 
And so how we do this well as it relates to kids, we'll talk more about in, in a couple of weeks. And, and there's some resources that I think can help us to do that, although it's still a challenge. But that flows from us wanting to talk about those things, right? I mean, if, if your grandkids do talk to you, what do they typically talk to you about? Well, it's, it's probably things they like, right? You ever have those conversations, you know, well, again, with your kids when they were younger or your grandkids where they're just going on and on about something and you have like very little idea what they're talking about, but they're really excited about it. You know, a, a game that they're telling you about or, or something that happened to them or, uh, you know, you may have some grandkids who just talk, 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 some who don't. But, um, but those are things that everybody talks about what they're excited about, what they're passionate about. And so these are things that we will talk about if they are of interest to us, if they're, we're passionate about them, if they're on our minds. We'll talk more about that in a second. So we declare these things about God through our words, but also through our example. We teach by more than what we say. I, I mentioned in Psalm 145, he used the word, one generation shall praise your works to another. You see, it's, it's more than just the transfer of information, although it is that. It's also the, the uh, reinforcing of that information through the means of communication and the example that is defending and backing up what is being communicated. You see this a little bit in... 2 Timothy 3, if you flip over there, we'll, we'll look at this text more in detail in a couple of weeks, but I, I want you to see a little bit about this. I mentioned it in, in the opening of our class. Timothy had learned the truth about God from the time he was a little guy. He, he says in chapter Uh, 3 verse 15, Paul says from childhood, the word can be translated from infancy, from the time he was old enough to, to listen and to interact, he was learning the truth of God's word. He says from childhood, you've known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. And Paul, when he is writing to Timothy, He is urging him to continue in what he learned from the time he was a little guy. Verse 14 of 2 Timothy 3, he says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He's writing to Timothy, who's now grown, saying, continue in the things that you learned from the time you were young. You learned those things. At some point, you became convinced of those things. And he says, you should do this knowing from whom you have learned them. He says, you continue in part because of who it was that taught you these things. We tend to think that the truth is simply reinforced because it's the truth. It's right and true, and that's enough. And there's a sense in which, yes, that's, that's true. But he says you continue because of who taught you these things. Now, certainly Paul had taught him some of these things. But chapter 1, verse 5, reminds us that it was primarily his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. He was following in the line of their faith. So 
Paul was not telling Timothy, you continue in these things because you were taught them by the greatest of scholars who had investigated everything and who knew everything. And I mean, those were like the cream of the crop teaching you. So you believe that. No, he said, you continue in this because you learned them from your mom and your grandma. What's his point? I don't think it's that they were like the most equipped to teach truth. It's that you saw it reflected in them as well. It's about the power of their character and their influence reinforcing what was taught. John MacArthur in his commentary on this text says this, to to successfully learn spiritual convictions from others and to hold them as your own, it is necessary not only to hear them clearly taught, but to see them consistently lived. Now again, there's exceptions to that, but the primary means that God says for impacting the next generation is not simply our words, but it is also the example lived out in front of them. One author uh, from a while back wrote this. He said, to give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning to them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. You see, we can't just say, well, what are we talking to our grandkids about? We also have to say, what is our life demonstrating for our grandkids? See, how we live, the patterns of our life, what we love, all of that has an influence on what we are declaring to the next generation. Tom read a a portion of Exodus in the uh, the service today, it's a, a familiar idea about uh, the influence of one on, on subsequent generations and God's dealings with them. There's another place that occurs in Exodus 20. The, in the context of the Ten Commandments, you see this influence that we have by our obedience or disobedience. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments. God starts with loving him. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol You shall not worship them or serve them. And in Exodus 20, verse 5, he says, why not? You you shall not worship idols. I should be the only God in your life. Why? For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's a sobering verse. It doesn't mean that God punishes subsequent generations for the sin of their parents or grandparents. 2 Kings 14.6 says, The father shall not be put to death for the sons, nor the sons be put to death for the fathers, but each shall be put to death for his own sin. God holds individuals responsible for their sin. But he is saying, if you practice idolatry, what is likely to happen? Your kids will practice idolatry, and your grandkids will practice idolatry, and your great-grandkids will practice idolatry. Again, is that always the case? Not always, but that's sure the example you see in the Old Testament, isn't it? That idolaters lead to idolaters until God intervenes. And what he's saying here is that he's he's saying, I will continue to hold those subsequent generations responsible even though they learned it from their parents and grandparents. 
This is not an excuse. One commentary puts it this way. He says, God will not say, I won't punish this generation for what they're doing. After all, they, are merely, they merely learned it from their parents or grandparents. No, God says, if you sin in this way, it's likely your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids will too, and I will hold them all accountable. You see, the example we set, what we worship, what we treasure, what we serve... All of that communicates volumes to our kids and to our grandkids. There's a a quote from a a book called The Christian Father's Present to His Children. John Engel James, written to parents, but I think it, it applies to grandparents as well. He said this, he said, parents, or we could add substitute grandparents, as you would wish your instructions and admonitions to your family to be successful, Enforce them by the power of holy example. And he writes this to some parents, or again, grandparents I would give this advice say less about religion to your children or grandchildren, or else manifest more of its influence. Leave off family prayer, or else leave off family sins. He was writing at a time where people were a little more direct, maybe, than we tend to be in our culture. But his point was not. Don't talk to your kids about, about the Lord. His point was, if you're talking to your kids about the Lord, you need to be really sure that you are backing up what you say with the example of your life. And so it is vital that we are declaring God's truth with our words. But it is equally vital that we are declaring that truth by living out what we say we believe is true about God. And again, we'll talk more about some of what that can look like in the context of of relationships, but it's not something that can ultimately be faked. We'll talk about that in a second. So you're responsible to God for what you declare about him to your grandchildren, through your words, through your example. However, see, you are not responsible to God for the response of your grandkids. You care about the response of your grandkids. You pray for the response of your grandkids, but you are not responsible for the response of your grandkids. It's about your faithfulness, not the fruit that is born from that faithfulness. There are plenty of examples in Scripture of faithful parents who had wicked children or grandchildren, and there are plenty of examples in Scripture of those who were not faithful, who God did intervene. And so don't focus chiefly on the fruit that you see. Focus on what faithfulness looks like for you. You know, you think of someone like David, a man after God's own heart. His grandson was a a man named Rehoboam, not a great guy, who was foolish and rebelled and uh, was a catalyst for the... uh, the division of the kingdom. Certainly his father Solomon had an influence on him as well, and he was responsible for the choices that he, that he made. What would you say hinders grandparents from fulfilling this responsibility? What are some things that hinder or distract from fulfilling that responsibility? Okay, busyness, yeah. Maybe it's busyness in, in your own life. Busyness in kids, grandkids, life. What else? Okay, yeah, broken relationships. There's not a 
context of relationship in which that can happen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, distance that limits the amount of time and opportunity for interaction in those things. Yeah, our own sinful struggles that we're not what we ought to be and so that's not flowing out from us and, and maybe we're dealing with other things in our own life. Other things? Yeah, does culture encourage this kind of relationship and interaction between grandparents and grandkids? Not, not typically. It, it, it fosters grandparents focusing primarily on, woohoo, I'm finally at a stage of life where I can do what I want. I'm in retirement, and this is where I live for me. I've lived for my family for a long time, and now I get to do what I want. And culturally, it doesn't foster wanting that from kids and grandkids. It's more of, hey, this is our ch- time to do what, what we want. You had your chance, and now it's our time. And, and some of that has to do with views of authority. Authority is not something that is in vogue in our day and age at all. And so recognizing the value of that and honoring those, yes? Okay. Yeah. Not being equipped ourselves to be able to do that. You know, I think there are all kinds of things that undermine this, and some of them are things that are just the realities of your particular circumstances, and that's why you've got to focus on faithfulness in the midst of those circumstances, and we'll talk more about that in a a few weeks, but not all of you have the same opportunity to do this with your grandkids. So you may talk to somebody else who describes this beautiful, glorious relationship that they have with their grandchild, because they have a great relationship with their, their child. Maybe they're in, in the same church here at Countryside, and, and that doesn't guarantee a beautiful relationship with your grandchildren, by the way. But, uh, but it, it, maybe there's certain opportunities that this person has, and you're like, ah, I, I can't do that. And you feel this weight of guilt that I, I can't, uh, that's not what it looks like for me. And maybe that's not because of you, that's just the realities of, of what your kid will allow, your child will allow, or the distance that you have, or the financial constraints that you have, or whatever it is. You've got to think not, how can I do what they're doing? What does it look like for me to faithfully fulfill what God has called me to do in the circumstances that I'm in? But we will only do that when that is flowing out of a desire to honor the Lord and to glorify Him. Turn to Deuteronomy 4. Verse 9, just. There are external hindrances, some of which we can seek to change, some of which are outside of our control. But what we can primarily focus on and control are the internal hindrances that come from ourselves. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy 4. Let this verse echo in your mind. It says, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. See that? He says, you've got to keep yourself, you've got to guard your own soul 
so that you keep at the forefront of your mind all that God has done so that you do not lose sight of those things, that that's not what is, is giving, pro, causing praise to well up in your own heart, so that then you will teach them to your sons and your grandsons. As you have experienced God's goodness over a lengthier period of time, don't let that cause that affection to wane Don't become complacent with those things, those truths that you've maybe known for a long time. Rather, let that spur you to a greater passion and a greater desire for this. That's why you will only fulfill the responsibility that you have before the Lord when you are cultivating, secondly, your relationship with God as a grandparent. If you do not give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently, you will not make known to your sons and your grandsons the truth of these things. Because I think if if we're all honest, as parents and as grandparents, we could all say that we do not, whatever opportunities we do have, we do not take all of the opportunities to the extent that we could. (laughs) And a lot of that has to do with our own heart and our own focus. And so it's fascinating that in the context of all of these verses that we have looked at that remind us of our responsibility before God, they almost all flow out of the relationship that we have with God. Look back at at Deuteronomy 6. Which is, again, a text we'll look at more in a couple of weeks about interacting with the next generation regarding the the word of God. And verse 7 is what we are to do, teach them diligently to your sons. And again, that's primarily son, but that word is also used for any descendant, grandson, uh, other descendants. So it's not limited to parent-child, but it is primarily speaking to that. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you say, great, that's what I want to do. How do I do that? Well, how do you do that? Verse (laughs) 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And then verse 7, you shall teach them. So you don't teach them by going and getting a really good children's Bible. No, you teach them first (laughs) flowing out of your relationship with God. First part that he highlights is love the Lord your God. If you want to fulfill your role as a grandparent, it starts with you loving the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your might. Now, are you going to do that perfectly? Are any of us going to do that perfectly? No, but that's the fuel for fulfilling our role as a grandparent. Why do we love him? We don't have time to unpack it, but the scriptures primarily connect our love to God to the realities of who he is. He is God. He's the creator, the sovereign one, the one who is good, and to what he has done. 1 John 4 says, we love because he first loved us. 
So if we don't understand what he has done for us in the gospel, if we are not amazed at his, his willing sacrifice of his son for us, if we are not responding to that truth in love for him, we will not be a faithful grandparent. Well, and what's it mean to love God? Well, love is, is delighting in him. It's being totally devoted to him, and, and primarily it's connected to obedience to him. It, it's, it's a delight in and a devotion to that produces an obedient response to him. You know, that's to be the reality of all of our hearts. And when you think of what you are most passionate about, what, what excites you the most? What you would love nothing more than to talk to other people about? Is it the Lord because of who he is and because of what he has done for you? If, if so, know that you are well on your way to being a faithful grandparent. You have something to offer to your grandkids. Now, they may not want that. They may say, I would rather have ice cream. <laughs> And they probably will. And maybe you can have that conversation with ice cream involved um, so that you are, are gaining that opportunity. But, the, um, but if, if you don't love God and you say, well, when you come over, I know I'm supposed to like, talk to you about the Bible. So I got a kid's Bible and we're going to read it for a little bit. And you're not really excited about that. And that's not flowing from a heart that is, is captured by him. Don't do it. <laughs> but if you love him. Be released to, to, to declare him to others. So he says this flows out of a love for God, and it flows secondly out of meditating on the word of God. Verse 6, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. See, if, if we're not filling ourselves with God's word, we will be unable to speak of it to others. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to be a Bible scholar to be a grandparent. It just means you've got to be loving God's word yourself and ingesting it yourself, intaking it yourself so that it flows out of you in your interactions. Now, there may be times where a particular issue comes up with a grandchild and you say, man, I need to know what the Bible says about this. And thankfully, we live in a day and age where, where there's a lot of things that can help equip you with the word of God. We'll talk more about some of those. Uh, and so that you can be equipped in that area. But primarily, it flows from us being diligent to fill our hearts and minds with God's word. God's word. Because we understand how much of a treasure it is, and we want to know it and want to obey it. Practically, how can you keep the word of God on your heart? What's that look like? Memorizing it? Oh, but you're... You're not as young as you used to be, right? Can't memorize. Yeah, maybe we can't memorize as much or as fast, but yeah, having it, having it in our hearts. It's really hard to overflow things when we, when we don't have it there, isn't it? Trying to memorize. What else? Read it. Yeah, regularly <laughs> spending time in the Word of God, filling our minds with it, reading it. Maybe that's in, a, uh, in the context of a, a corporate study that you're connected to, a women's Bible study, a home fellowship group, that you are spending time digging deeper into portions of it. You know, we come to, to church corporately and sit under the, the teaching of God's word. 
It's not just hearing it and, and walking away, but, but intentionally cultivating thinking and dwelling on that. What are the, the implications of this and, and saturating our minds with it? What else? You can sing it. Yeah, one of the things we'll see in the, in the Psalms and is the, the use of music and lyrics to help fill our hearts with truth in those ways. Okay, yeah, responding to it in, uh, when you see, not just being a, a hearer of the word, but a doer who is paying attention and, and comparing it to our own lives and responding in that way. We need to love the Lord our God. We need to meditate on the word of God and then a, a third reality of our relationship with God that fuels and feeds us fulfilling our responsibility before God is dwelling on the works of God. Dwelling on the works of God. This is related to meditating on the word of God for many of the works of God are <laughs> recorded for us in scripture. But I think this is also um, related to not simply the works of God that are recorded in Scripture, but us reflecting on the faithfulness that God has displayed to us and being eager to speak of those things. If you, if you, we saw this in a, a number of, of the texts that we looked at today, but Psalm 145 is probably the clearest. Back in Psalm 145, we, we saw verse 4, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. And so verse 5 says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty, the character of God, and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Sandwiched between praising your works to another and verse 6, speaking of the power of your awesome acts, is what? It's meditating on your works. Thinking about. What's it mean to meditate on something? It, it's not clearing our minds. It's not that idea of meditation, <laughs> of filling them with nothing. It's intentionally filling them with thinking about what is true. And, and the psalmist says, when we meditate on his works... When we are dwelling on what he has done for us and how he has displayed his character, the outflow of that is we are ready to speak of and declare those works to others. If it's not on our heart and our mind, it's not flowing out from us. What are some of the works of God we ought to be dwelling on? Could be generally, categorically, or even more specifically. Yeah, creation, the fact that God spoke the world into existence. That's a great, uh, uh, an amazing work of God's power. And kids are drawn to creation and drawn to the world. You, you know, grandkids, grandsons love to be playing out in the world, getting dirty in the world. It's a chance to connect and engage and interact on those realities. If we're dwelling on that, if we go through the world with eyes that are reminded, God made this. He spoke it into existence. When we see a, something beautiful or something amazing, it's, it's God's handiwork. Yeah, dwelling on that. What else? The cross. Yeah. The cross. God has sent his son to die for sinners who deserve nothing but his punishment. Amazing work of God's grace. Yeah, Steve. Interpreting roles, evangelism, strategies, 
Yeah, recognizing the providence of God in, in current events, in, in historical events as well. We could, could add that in. Seeing his hand, Kathy. Okay, answered prayers, things that you've seen God do. You know, we can get so focused on the here and now that we forget all the ways that God has displayed faithfulness to you. Does that mean that every interaction with your grandkids is going to be you telling them all the amazing things that God has done? Uh, eh, probably not. Uh, but does that mean that those are things you want to be, you're going to be, if you're thinking about them, excited to share with them? Or when they're facing a circumstance that seems overwhelming to them and they are crushed by it or they feel the weight of it and, and you can you know, walk through that with them and remind them of how God was faithful to you and, and on the pages of Scripture. Other works we should dwell on. What are some ways that you guys do that or could do that to regularly dwell on and remember the works of God that he has done? Thanksgiving journal where you are recording things that God has done and are able to share that. Absolutely. Maybe works that they have experienced but don't remember those ways. Otherwise, we can regularly dwell on and remember the works of God in our lives and others. Yeah, absolutely. Those things, you know, that, that can become just kind of a rote thing that we do and that kids are kind of used to. But if you do it in a way that is not rote, but that displays a, a genuine heart for how God has done these things, um, they may be used to praying before meals, but it, it's a reminder that wait a minute, this is, this is real and there is a God that has cared for us and provided in those things. Yeah, having those things on our own minds and hearts and overflowing those. Again, the, these things are not things that can be a checklist and, and I hope that that is primarily an encouragement to you. I, I hope that Walking out of a class like this after four weeks, you don't come away with just a to-do list and you feel like, as long as I'm doing these things, I'm good. <laughs> or if I'm not doing all of these things, I'm, I'm failing or falling short. I hope you come away with some practical ideas of how to do these things, and that's our goal. But I hope that you, you can see that what the scriptures call you to is to be a person who loves God passionately, who, who is overwhelmed by what he has done for you. And you have, many of you, gotten to see his faithfulness over a lot longer period of time than your kids or grandkids. And, and somebody who loves his word and who is filling your own heart with that and who is then therefore eager to overflow from that into the lives of your, your kids still to an extent and your grandkids as you have opportunity. And again, not in a forced way, but in a way that is, this is who I am, and this is therefore how I'm going to interact with you. And your kids may say, you're, you're kind of crazy. You're, you're like over the top serious about this stuff. They may. And, and you may think back to when you were in their shoes, and you might have thought the same thing if you had been in their shoes because you've gained wisdom and maturity, and you're at a point now. And, you know, that's one of the challenges of grandparenting is you have hopefully gained a lot of wisdom from the time you were a parent. And so you look at things and say, ah, if only, 
you know, if only you knew this. And I'm going to tell you this, and Brian's going to answer all those questions next week on how to handle that. But, you know, you've gained all this wisdom, and yet you're not primarily responsible. And, and so don't, in that, try to take responsibility back, but also don't miss that precious role that God has given you of being one who ought to have wisdom and knowledge and maturity with God and being eager to flow from that out into the lives of your kids and grandkids. You know, it is because of your relationship with God through Christ and, and how you have responded in love to him and a desire to grow in his word that you will be motivated to fulfill your responsibility before God. Because it is not chiefly about your grandkids. It is chiefly about the next generation seeing the truth of who God is and glorifying him. Your desire is to see God known and exalted. And you love your grandkids, and so you want them to do that, and you want all the blessings that come from that, but it is to be chiefly about God deserves this from my grandkids. That's no different than the desire that parents should have for their kids. It's no different in the Psalms than the desire we should have for the nations, that we long to see others know God and worship him. And so if you are not cultivating your relationship with him, loving him, meditating on his word, obeying his word, and cultivating a heart that remembers his character and works, you will not fulfill your responsibility before him, that of declaring him to the next generation through your words and your example. So the first relationship to focus on before you think about what does this look like with my grandkids is to come back and say, what is my relationship with the Lord? How do I cultivate my relationship with the Lord so that from that can flow a right relationship with my kids and ultimately with my grandkids? That's where it begins for us. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Or as Deuteronomy 4.9 said, looking to our own soul first so that we will then teach the next generation. There's a, a couple of reflection questions on the back of your handout. Um, I'm going to give you a, a couple of minutes to take some time and um, discuss those either with your, uh, your spouse, if you would like to, next to you, or if you want to uh, discuss them with a, a couple of other folks who are sitting near you. And uh, just to reflect on the truth it is that we are thinking about. You know, it's easy to, to come to a, a class or to hear things on something and to walk away and say, glad we heard that. <laughs> and we want to say, what do we, how do we respond to this in those ways? So uh, take a few minutes, discuss uh, a few of those together, and then we'll close our time in prayer here in just a, a couple of minutes.